Only, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. During the month of July, we're going to be going through a study in the book of Galatians, and I'm really excited about it as Jared Young, our student pastor, and as well as Matt Stevens, our worship pastor, is joining us and myself in this study. And, and, and when we look at the theme of the book of Galatians, it really talks about freedom and the aspect of our Christian life. Yeah, so one of the, the key verses there in Galatians this is 5.1, it says, for freedom Christ has set us free. It says, so do not entangle yourself again with the yoke of slavery. I think for many of us, we worry about um, God's will in our lives uh, for decisions that maybe aren't as great an issue for God, um, such as where our kids go to school, where we work, where we live. Not that those aren't important things to, to seek the Lord for in wisdom, but that we'd rather orient our lives around statements or commands that are more clear, such as this one, that Christ um, desires for us to live in freedom. And so um, I, my hope for the series is that we'd begin to understand that freedom in Christ alone, um, that he died for, that he rose for, that he sent his spirit for, uh, for the glory of his name and for our freedom. In the second half of the verse, Paul uses the idea of entanglement, which he refers to many times in other passages of scripture for the believer being impeded or held back by the things that are not glorifying to God or not honoring to God. So just the idea of living in freedom through Christ that's free of those things that are entangling us which don't ultimately glorify God. Yeah, one of the amazing things of that passage is that Paul uses the, the phrase yoke of slavery, which to the Jew or to the Judaizer, the yoke of the law was a good thing. It was an apparatus that held the animals and directed them where they were to go. And so they saw the law as something that guided and, and led them in the direction. But Paul says to reject the freedom that we have and then to submit themselves again back to the law was like a yoke of slavery. It brought them into slavery and they didn't get to experience the freedom that God intended for them. They became entangled, exactly what you were saying. So really neat and exciting uh, teachings in this book that we're looking forward to going through this month. Well, good morning. 
Oh, I'm Matt Stevens. I've been uh, serving here at NBC as the worship director in communications, um, which basically just means that they don't give me this much time on an open mic usually. And if I break up into song and start getting off stage, you'll know something didn't go well. So I'm just going to preface everything with that. Um, but really, this morning, we, we read through Galatians. That's where we're going to spend some time. Uh, last week, Lingle kind of, we're going to recap a little bit. Last week, Lingle kind of went over where we're at in Galatians. Okay, so Paul's writing this letter um, to the Galatians. Um, and he had, Paul had gone into these regions. He had preached the gospel. Um, he had kind of started these churches. He left them in a good place. He moved on. And then after that, these Judaizers came in behind him and were basically teaching a false gospel. Okay, they were teaching that, yes, you need, if you want to be forgiven, you do need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised and also follow Old Testament laws, right? So they were saying, Jesus, yes, but also be circumcised and follow the law. Okay, so these are new Gentile converts. And um, so they're, they're saying, hey, you, you need Jesus, that's right. But Paul's not fully right. Like you also need to functionally become a Jew. Okay, and so that's why Paul is, is concerned. That's why he's writing this letter because they've, they've begun to believe this. And um, it's causing them trouble and they begin to kind of move away and further away from God. And this is kind of the first reality here is that when we start to lose, um, we start to lose touch with the gospel, we'll also begin to start losing touch with God. Okay, and so he's concerned about that. He's writing this letter to them. And, and, and really in the, in the last part of Galatians 1, chapter 1, and the first part of Galatians 2, um, Paul is kind of giving a, a kind of recap of his conversion. He's also talking about how he started preaching the gospel to these Gentiles. Um, we, we see him recount when he went um, in Acts 17 to Jerusalem to meet up with the apostles, with Jesus' disciples, his closest friends. And... Um, they brought Titus along with them to kind of show, hey, this is a product of the gospel that I've been teaching the Gentiles. And this is really important, especially for those of us that maybe have some issues with Paul. The disciples, the apostles, closest friends of Jesus, affirm the gospel that Paul is teaching. and says, yes, this is the true gospel, the true message of Jesus Christ. Okay, So he's writing this letter. He's worried about them. Um, he's been confirmed, and then he just kind of goes in and wraps up in the last part of verse 10 where it says, only I ask that you remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. Because there's not really enough time to kind of dive into all that, so we're just kind of recapping that. It's the Cliff Notes version of what's happening at the end of chapter 1, start of chapter 2 to get where we're going today. Okay, and Paul goes next. So in this passage, Paul begins to unpack the gospel, which is this, that you've been justified by faith alone. All right? And that message is, is the message that Paul's been preaching. It's the message that Jesus gave to him. It's the message that the apostles, the disciples have been preaching. And it's the true gospel from Jesus Christ. Okay? But it's also the same gospel that's now under attack in Galatia. And that's why Paul is so concerned. And he starts writing and starts defending uh, his position and the gospel. So again, the heart of the gospel is this, that you have been made right with God through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Okay? Apart from any works apart from any merit, apart from any law keeping. Okay, now, the tendency, and I, I, this is my own, when you start to hear this message, you've been a part, a part of church for a long time, it says, you know, yes, I, I know that. I know that this is kind of like basic faith stuff here, right? And I want to get to something deeper. I want to grow in my faith. So I kind of want more theology. I want a deeper thing. I want more, this is a phrase that drives me nuts, but I'm just going to tell you, I, I want more meat on that, right? Okay, we've heard that before. We've probably thought that before. I'm guilty of that, Okay. But what does Paul do here? Okay, we, we see when Peter needs to be rebuked, excuse me, this is what he does. He says, so in, or, um, in order to grow in, in Peter's Christian faith, 
he, he says that you're not living in step with the gospel. Okay, so he points them towards the gospel. So in other words, you don't grow in your Christian faith by growing beyond the gospel. You grow in your Christian faith by growing deeper and walking in step with the gospel. So how do we know when we're in step with the gospel? Um, it's an understanding of this idea of justification through faith alone. Okay, so that's, where, that's what we're going to spend some time on this morning, to understand justification, what it means, and why is it important to us. Okay, so I'm going to start up here with a definition that I found that I really liked. Okay, it's, it's, um, I think I have a slide on it. We'll get to it in just a sec. Um, but it's from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, it's really wordy, and it sounds really smart, and, it, and that's not why I picked it, okay? I'm not smart, but this is from smarter guys, okay? So I just want to read this to us, and we're going to break it down, and I've highlighted a few words that we're going to get to. So, those whom God effectively calleth, he also freely justifieth, okay? So those God has called, he's also freely justified. Not by infusing righteousness into them, but by, so not by giving them righteousness, but by pardoning their sins, and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them. Okay, so nothing that you've done, nothing that you, nothing, no righteousness that's in yourself, but for Christ's sake alone. Nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness. So no, no amount of, of goodness that we do, no amount of law keeping that we do, no matter how obedient we are, it's not that. But by imputing the obedience and the satisfaction of Christ unto them, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. Okay, so that's a lot, but there's two things we wanna look at there. Okay, pardoning and imputing. Okay, those are the two things that, that make up justification. So the first one is the pardon. We're pardoned of our sins. We've been forgiven of our sins. And how does that work? A holy and just God cannot just dismiss sin. He can't just sweep it under the rug. He can't look the other way. He must judge sin. Okay, and that's what he does. For those of us that are in Jesus, he judges it in his son, Jesus. Okay? Um, so Jesus takes the sins upon himself. The punishment is placed on him so that we might be pardoned. So God, and this is really the incredible part of this, God can be both just and the justifier of the ungodly. It's really incredible. So the second thing is the, uh, is the imputation, okay? Not amputation, but imputation. All right, not only was Jesus' death significant, but his life was significant, okay? He was the only one to live his life in perfect obedience to the Father, in perfect righteousness, okay? So he is the only one to possess that obedience and that perfect righteousness, and through faith in Jesus, his death counts for our pardon, but his life also counts for our obedience and our righteousness. So in other words, my sin has been placed on Jesus, and he's treated as my sins are deserved, and his obedience and his perfect righteousness is placed on me, and I'm treated as he is deserved, loved and accepted and received by the Father. Okay, so if we bring this back down, we'll go ahead and flip to the next slide. This is the most simplest way I could phrase this. this justification is where God sees me just as though I'd never sinned, and just as though I've always perfectly obeyed. So let's ask this question. Why is that important? Why is that important for us? Um, I'm gonna ask a few times this morning to try to be really honest with ourselves, okay? This is the first time. Our whole lives, we have been seeking the approval of other people. Constantly, we're chasing after, um, we just wanna be liked. We just wanna be well thought of. We want people to see us in a good light. We want people to see us as good and right. Okay, and so we're constantly looking for that affirmation from people. 
Um, and so we, we want in this kind of courtroom of human opinion, this positive verdict that's just spoken of our lives. That, that, and we don't even have to know the people anymore, right? Social media, what is that? Think about what we're doing. We're posting a picture, we're posting a comment, and we're giving everyone else the chance to approve of us, approve of what we say, approve of what we're doing, all that kind of stuff. We are constantly wanting that. And that's why social media has been successful. It's tapping into something that's very, very natural for us, a desire to be justified. God's put that within us. But this started, and this starts when we're kids, right? Daddy, daddy, look how fast I am. Daddy, daddy, look at this picture I drew. Isn't it great? And it just kind of changes and and moves forward from there into, into other things. Um, We just constantly are looking for a place of acceptance, to be accepted by something. And when we find that, there's always something else, isn't there? There's some other opinion of someone else or something else that we need. And we go to this next area and we want to be approved of by this thing. So when I was in junior high, um, I really wanted this pair of jeans that everyone was wearing. Some of you may be familiar with them. They're called Jinkos. Anybody? Yes. I knew there'd be some out there. Those of you that don't know what these are, I had to find a picture. So these are like curtains on your legs, guys. I mean, you could shuffle around and like you couldn't tell the pants were moving. But that's not even the worst design. I don't know if you can catch this, the pocket on the back. Like you drop your wallet in there and you're, you're talking like your wallet's down here at your calf. Okay, the worst thing ever. Like, but I thought, like, why did I want those things? Well, I wanted to be accepted by my peers, right? Like they were wearing these, I wanted to wear them. I was cool, right? So junior high, that was me. But when I went to high school, I didn't continue to wear Jinkos, right? There was something else. I had other hoops that I needed to jump through at that point, other things to be well-liked, to be accepted by others, and they just moved to something else. And I'm constantly chasing after those. So here's the thing. All of those areas that we're running to for acceptance are really just shadows of our desire and need to be accepted by the highest court. Okay, they're just, they're just surface rumblings of that, of that, of that need for justification from the ultimate person. And that's what we're doing. So God has put that need in our hearts, okay? And, and when we can finally understand that God in Jesus is saying over your life, you are fully known, you're fully loved, and you're fully accepted, we'll be able to be free um, from this desire of ours to be accepted by others. Um, and it's, um, <laughs> for many of us here in this room, we're enslaved to that, right? We're enslaved to the opinions of others. If we're really honest with ourselves, we're enslaved to that. And that's because we're not walking in step with the gospel. Until the opinion of the one who matters the most, matters the most to you, you're gonna constantly be in bondage to this. So you never live in that freedom that Christ has called us to, the freedom that we're singing about, the freedom that we talk about, the freedom that Paul is talking about to the Galatians here. So until that idea of justification through faith gets to your heart, when it really resonates there, when it really settles in, um, you're never gonna be free. You'll be enslaved um, to these things. Um, And when you are able to get past that, when you're able to understand this justification, you'll no longer live the enslavement to these kind of lower courts, these others' opinions, because you'll live in the favor of the highest one. Okay, so this is why we need this doctrine. Okay, it frees us. Justification through faith alone frees us from the slavery of living our lives for the acceptance and the approval of others. 
And the other thing that it will do is it allows us to be freed from the thing that maybe a lot of us even deal with more, and that's our own condemning conscience. So we struggle with this. While we're busy performing for others, uh, we also live with this inner sense of shame and guilt, um, and we know when we fail, we know when we sin, and that burden will weigh heavy on us, okay? And our own conscience condemns us, okay? And when our own conscience condemns us, I promise the only thing that will satisfy us and, uh, is our understanding of this idea of justification, that you have been imputed God's righteousness. It's been credited to you, okay? So otherwise, you're always gonna be wondering, have I done enough? Am I praying enough? Am I reading my Bible enough? There's constantly this feeling and wondering if, if God is accepting you, if, if you've merited God's approval. And you really can't love God like that. You really can't. Um, when you, when you, you can't love someone, or, and especially God, when you feel like he's constantly weighing you in the balance. So let me ask this. As you came into church this morning, what is it that made you feel confident to be here? What made you feel confident to come to God in worship, in praise, in prayer? What are the things that, that make you feel like accepted to come in here this morning? Because here's the thing. Um, if you are coming in here today based on um, how you feel like you've done this week, how often that you read your Bible or how um, much you didn't sin or how much you were obedient to the Lord and his word or how um, maybe you shared the gospel uh, with, with a neighbor or someone, okay, or maybe you resisted sin or temptation. If that's your confidence this morning approaching God, it's in the wrong thing. And so we have to understand this um, because the problem is, is when we take our confidence in that, when we start to um, blow it, when we mess up and we don't do those things well, it affects the way that we think God sees us, right? That our, his acceptance of us goes up and down based on how we're performing. Okay, so we need to understand the difference between justification and sanctification. Okay, justification is God declaring you righteous. Now, we've heard that. If you've been here, you've heard that before. Okay, God is declaring you righteous. And what that is, is no one in this room is righteous, right? No one's perfectly righteous. But God has declared over you that you're righteous. It is contrary to your current position and your current state. Okay, that is, that is justification. Sanctification is God making you righteous. Okay, God is making you more and more like he has already declared you to be. Okay, so that's the difference between these two. All right, so... Um, and it's a really difficult idea, and it's, it's why I think a lot of people um, lack confidence um, with God, okay, because we're, we're both simultaneously just and yet still a sinner. Okay? That's a difficult thing to, to kind of wrestle with, all right? Um, so someone that is, is kind of wrestling with that would, would look inwardly a lot and would ask those questions, like we said, have I, have I done enough? And, and what you're doing is, when you ask those questions, is that you're trusting in your sanctification for your acceptance from God rather than your justification. So you would ask questions such as, am I sincere enough? Am I praying enough? Am I reading my Bible enough? Am I sinning too much? And yeah, let me just answer that one. Yes, you are. Um, so if you don't leave here today with anything else, yes, you're sinning too much. God, um, that's very clear, okay? Well, so some of us really need to hear that today though, right? Okay, that God's love for you doesn't change based on your performance. God's love for you doesn't change based on your performance. Okay, but we're, we're, we're so good at looking inward and focusing on ourselves, right? 
We make everything about ourselves and, and we really need to break that. We need to repent of that. We need to turn our eyes off of focusing on ourselves and fix them on Jesus. All right, so remember this, that the gospel is not in you. The gospel is outside of you. It's not, um, it's not something that we, we work up for to, or to to produce so that God accepts us, okay? It, um, it's always outside of us until we, we see that and we have, we'll, we'll always have a sense that God is not quite appeased with all of our efforts. And the confidence, and when your confidence kind of rises and falls based on your performance, you will never know the intimacy that God has saved you for. You always feel like God is, is weighing you in the balance. And, and here's the thing, just a sec. God has weighed Christ in the balance. And he's enough. And that counts for you. God doesn't weigh you. God enjoys you. Um, he's not some personal trainer that's trying to get you, hey, more reps, more reps. I'm trying to build you up to get you to look like how I picture you looking. Get those gains, bro. Okay, that's not what he's doing. Okay, God sees us um, because of Jesus um, in the balance. And Jesus is really the only one that matters. He's the only one that matters. God is not weighing you. And, and when we see that and we really believe that, then we're free and we no longer live um, like a slave that's being evaluated. We live like a son or a daughter that's being enjoyed. Okay, um, when my son was in um, kindergarten, this may be familiar for many of you that either were in kindergarten at one time or have kids that are in kindergarten. They have these kind of charts for the day to see how they do behavior-wise, right? So this, this particular one would be a green check mark for a good day, a yellow check mark for a, oh, I had a little something today, or a red check mark for, hey, you need to talk at home. Okay, um, and so my son's chart was basically like, hey, we get two, three greens during the week and then we have a couple yellows, right? And so we were working on this and talking about different things of how we act at school and behavior and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but we made a goal like, hey, this, let's do one week and get all green check marks. Okay, so we'd gone Monday through Thursday and he'd gotten all greens. And so Friday morning, we're driving to school. We're like, all right, buddy, you got this. And you're going in, he's excited. I'm gonna get a green check mark today. And when I was in the pickup line, he came out. My son's usually just full of energy, bright smile. I could tell immediately as I saw him when he walked out. His eyes were down. He was shuffling his feet. He gets in the car. He doesn't even want to look at me, okay? And he sits in there, and I'm like, hey, bud, what's up? You know, how's it going? And he goes, I didn't get a green check mark today. Not only did he not get a green, he got a red, okay? Now, we found out that it wasn't actually his fault, to be fair. Um, but it didn't matter because the way that he saw me at that point was what exactly we're talking about, right? He thought that my love for him would change based on how he did. And it was heartbreaking, you know, because I could see that in him. I could see that our relationship, our, our intimacy, our, my, my son and his father had a, a break in the way that we felt or he felt towards me and thought that because he performed poorly that I would be angry with him or that I wouldn't be, or I wouldn't love him as much anymore. Okay, and that's what we do. That's the same thing that we do with God. Um, so we had to adjust some things. Instead, we came up with this idea to kind of make a chart for the teacher, and we would write check marks back to the teacher. We didn't, we didn't really do that. Didn't really do that. But um, some of you know this, but I'm just going to say it again, okay? God does not keep charts on us, okay? He doesn't. Um, uh, if you, until you get that, you're, you're going to live like a slave that's always working for that green check mark. And, and the thing is, is that... Um, Jesus 
passed that test for you and he always gets green check marks. And again, that counts for you and me. Okay, we don't have to worry and live under that slavery of, of, of always working and always trying to get approval from God because of Jesus Christ. So that does raise a question though. How does God respond when we do, who are justified, those of us that have faith in Christ Jesus, how does he respond to our sin? Um, uh, and it's, uh, Lingle talked about this a little bit last week. Um, it's something that the early church wrestled with. It's something that we still wrestle with today is the idea of grace and forgiveness. Well, if we've been fully forgiven and we're under grace, then why not just go and do anything that we want? Because God's gonna forgive us. God's gonna freely give grace to us. Um, and Paul talks about this in, in even more depth than Romans, right? And, uh, but this isn't how things work in God's economy. Okay, um, it, it happens, uh, so what, what does happen though in this relationship? So we're gonna read uh, from 1 John chapter two. I think that's up there on the screen. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Okay, so there it is right there. God doesn't want us to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So here's where we get this whole courtroom scene and idea and illustration that we've heard before, okay? God is the judge. We have Satan, our adversary, that is throwing all of our sins, everything that he has at us to the court and say, look, this person here is, is a rebel. They are, they are um, a sinner. They have, done, they have lived their life against you. Here, here, look at all of these things. Um, and there's no reason why you should accept him um, in, into your love, okay? Um, and we, and we feel like that, right? Like we, we have that in our hearts at times that we're not good enough. We have that old tape that plays that we're not good enough. We shouldn't be accepted, that, that God doesn't love us because we're not good enough, okay? But here's the good news, and this is the part that gets left out. The refrain of that is that Jesus saves. He has been appointed our defense attorney, okay? And he's defending us based on two parts, two evidences that we see here in the text, okay? First is that Jesus' Jesus's righteousness is credited to you. Okay, it's imputed to you. So you are both just while still a sinner, what we just talked about, okay? And that credited righteousness, that imputated, or the, um, the, yeah, the imputated righteousness satisfies God. Okay, the second part of that is that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is just a big word for a sacrifice that appeases wrath. Okay, so Satan throws down all your sins before the court and Jesus says, paid for. Okay, so Jesus' sacrifice um, satisfies and appeases the Father's wrath on sin so that God no longer has anything but love towards you in his heart. So yes, the Father can be displeased with us, but he never despises us. Okay, he can rebuke us, but he never rejects us. He corrects us, but he never condemns us. All right? So God um, welcomes us in with a fatherly love and says, trust me, obey me. And God receives us in our grossest sins because of Jesus. So it frees us, understanding this justification, frees us from the slavery of the opinion of other people and it frees us from our own condemning hearts. And the last thing that it frees us from is our superiority towards others and our self-righteousness. 
Okay, in chapter two of, of Galatians, we read Peter and Barnabas are in Antioch. Okay, they're hanging out there with these new Gentile believers and they're, they're having meals together, they're having table fellowship together and then these Jewish false teachers show up and it says in the text that Peter withdrew from them and even led Barnabas astray. Okay, so why? It's because law is intuitive for us. Okay, it's the same reason why my son thought that getting green check marks meant more love for me, from me. Okay, so law is intuitive. Grace, however, is always shocking. Amazing grace that we just sang about. Same idea. Okay, we have to be reminded of that. We have to always be reminded of grace. Otherwise, our bent is to constantly slip back into law. And that's what's happening here with Peter and Barnabas. They begin to withdraw from this table fellowship with the Gentiles because they were being led astray by these false teachers. So Paul gets in Peter's face about it. And he says basically this, hey, Pete, your Jewishness, you being a Jew, doesn't commend you to God. It doesn't make God love you more just because you're Jewish. You need to stop that. So let me say it like this. Your morality does not commend you to God. Because what happens is when we, when we do these things, when we focus on anything, anything as our righteousness, as, as the thing that we think gets us in with God, it causes us to despise and elevate our, despise others and elevate ourselves. Okay, so when, when we put our, our hope and our, our, our thoughts and our, our approvals in like how moral I am, then we'll begin to despise those that are immoral. And we won't be able to really love them. And are we not called to love others? If we put our, if we think like our political party commends us to God, we'll begin to despise those of another political party. We can't really love them. If we think that our knowledge or our intelligence commends us to God, then we'll begin to despise those who lack our understanding. If we think us being a heterosexual commends us to God, we'll begin to despise those that are homosexual. We're called to love like Jesus. Because see, whatever, and listen, hear me close, because I, I don't want you to misunderstand this. I'm not talking about things that are not sin. I'm talking about that if we put our hope and our understanding, our justification, what we think makes us right with God over that justification of Jesus Christ alone, we become self-righteous. We become elevated above others and that's not the way that we're called to live. Jesus condemns that idea. So whatever you're trusting in that you think gets you in with God will cause you to despise others that lack it. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Okay, but when we understand that justification is through faith alone, you stop despising people and you can truly begin to love them as we're called to. When we no longer have uh, the metric of merit, grace is the banner that's over our lives. Okay, and that's what Paul's confronting him with, with Peter here. Okay? When you get the gospel of grace, it breaks you of your racial superiority. It breaks you from your moral superiority. It breaks you from um, political superiority. It breaks you from socioeconomic superiority. Okay, that's what he says in verse 10. He says, they only ask that I remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Well, why? Why does he say that? Why remember the poor? Because just like with everything else, grace obliterates any sense of superiority that you have over someone else. Okay, it's not your bank account that commends you to God. Okay, the only reason you have wealth is because God in his grace has given it to you. Okay, your only hope is grace. 
Your only hope is grace. And when your only hope is grace, you have nothing to use against other people. You're stripped of everything when you come to Christ. The cross levels the playing field. So, I ask you, I know it's uncomfortable, you send emails to Greg Lingle. <laughs> but I'm gonna ask you to be honest for a sec, okay? Who do you despise? Who do you despise? Because the truth is, and I, it's confronted me all this, all this time I've been studying this, who did I despise? Because the truth is that all of us in this room have a certain kind of person that we despise. And we have to repent of that. We have to break free of that so that we can be free to live in the understanding of this justification through faith alone. Okay, Christ's grace is amazing and it humbles us, right? This is why Peter, or this is why Paul says to Peter that you're living uh, out of step with the gospel. Okay, Peter was being racist. He was withdrawing from these Gentiles because he thought his Jewishness made him better. And so he went and backed off and started hanging out with all the Jews. Okay, but notice that Paul doesn't give um, Peter some like huge talk about, uh, you know, how to overcome your racism, right? What does he do? He gives him a talk about the gospel. So the gospel will free us, okay? And it, um, it, strips him, it stripped Peter of any superiority that he thought he had and pointed him back to grace and humility. And that's what grace does for us. So any religion, any religion that um, exalts our efforts or um, gives us grounds for boasting um, is a pride-producing faith that really just encourages and cultivates arrogance and oppression, and we have to break free of that. We have to repent of that. We have to go back to what the gospel says, because when you boast in your race, it leads to racism. When you boast in your wealth, it leads to a neglect of the poor. When you boast in your morality, it leads to you being judgmental, and Jesus condemns that. The gospel, the gospel is what frees us. And understanding this justification through faith, that God sees you as though you'd never sinned, as that you've, and as if you've always obeyed, is the only thing that will free you from the enslavement of other people's opinions and the condemnation of your own heart. It also levels the field so that we understand that we don't live in any superiority to anyone else, that we are all humbled by the cross, we are all under grace, we all approach the Lord, um, in the same position. And that allows us to love other people like we're called to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that are there. Um, we have a desire to, to grow in our faith. And sometimes it's necessary to hear hard things. Um, Lord, I pray that we would not be so bold in our own position with you and our own thoughts of ourselves, uh, that we cannot humbly think about the things where we are in the wrong, repent of those things, and draw near to you, and draw to a life that, that reflects more of the way that we should be living as we follow after you. And we're, gonna, we're going to fail, we're going to make mistakes, Lord, but help us to hold on to these truths that we have been justified in Christ alone that he is our only hope, that he is the full grace of our lives that is needed so that we can live free and live in the freedom that you've called us to. Lord, we love you and we trust you. It's your name we pray, amen.